All right, here we go. So at the end of last week's class, we started to get into a discussion, which I went through kind of quickly. Um, and it's really quite uh, elaborate, but I just kind of mentioned it in passing, which is the idea that we attribute specific attributes to each of the forefathers. So Abraham is known for chesed, for acts of kindness. Yitzchak, Isaac, is known for, we're just going to vaguely define it now, um, but we're going to try to zero in on it more in the class. But Yitzchak is known for, let's say, fearing God slash justice, strict justice, slash what we call gevura, restraint, might. Now, all those things don't necessarily seem related, but that's what we're going to try to get into a little more is what is Yitzchak's attribute? And then Yaakov, Jacob, is known for his attribute of MS, of truth. Um, he's also associated with Torah, and those two go together as well. And when in a later class, we'll try to look into Yaakov more, um, because that's actually quite a fascinating discussion, because at times he seems to actually be untruthful. And of all the of all the forefathers, so to give him to say he's the one who represents truth is is going to be its own uh, its own uh, class and exploration. So so now now these three ideas, the idea of let's say of of chesed of kindness, the idea of we'll call it again for now fear of heaven, and the idea of truth. So. Rav Dessler, of Elio Dessler writes that these are kind of the three impetuses of good for people in the world. So uh, some people, they're, the good that manifests from them is through chesed, through kindness. They focus themselves on other people. They do their best to do good for other people. And, uh, and that's what that would be, you know, they are, they are givers. They're giving, they're, they're always involved in kindness. Then there's the attribute of being God-fearing, fear of heaven. And God-fearing is different than chesed. Chesed, you're kind of looking out. God-fearing, you're more looking in. You are um, maybe meditating. You are trying to, to work on the, the inner self more um, and concerned for, you know, Am I acting in a way that is befitting of someone who's walking before God? But it's more of an internal focus. And then we have MS, truth, which is the third attribute. And this is being a truth seeker, someone who's just always seeking truth. They don't want to veer from the correct path. They always want to be um, doing the right thing. And this could affect the way that they do acts of kindness because you can have acts of kindness that are truth, that are good, and you can have acts of kindness that maybe are not as good as, you know, not so good. We'll, we'll get into that a little more. But, uh, but you, so, so MS, truth, kind of focuses a person. And even also it can focus somebody's fear of heaven, somebody's internal, look, somebody who's looking inside, you know, checking themselves, but maybe they can become over over-focused on themselves and over-emphasize 
their own growth or their own uh, their own fear of heaven, and it becomes it veers from the straight path. And MS truth helps a person. Again, are we being true? Are we really doing what is right? So these three are driving forces. There's the the kindness where we look out. There's the the fear of heaven where we kind of look in. And then there's MS. There's truth that focus us. Within each of these things, each of these three categories, each of the other one can operate. So for example, so we have chesed, we have acts of kindness. When a person does kindness, they could be doing kindness because that's just who I am. I just, it just pours forth for me. I'm always looking for opportunities. So we would call that kindness and kindness, pure kindness to somebody who just wants to do all kinds of chesed all kinds of kindness. Then there's somebody who does it because they're, they're afraid that maybe they're not doing enough. Maybe I'm not fulfilling my, my role and therefore I'm going to do acts of kindness. But that what's driving that really is, could be a fear of heaven. So you can have a kindness mixed with fear of heaven where the, really it's the fear of heaven that's driving the person towards kindness. And then you can have a person who's doing kindness, but they're really considering and is what I'm doing really an act of kindness? Am I doing the right, am I helping the person even? Or am I just helping myself? And that's seeking truth. So in their act of kindness, they are also, they, they are joining the, the attribute of truth, truth seeking to that act. So you can have within an act of kindness also that seeking of truth. You can have somebody who is kind of their, their primary attribute is fear of heaven. And uh, so everything they do is guided by that. Everything I do, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't want to sin. I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. And that is the pure guiding force for, for one type of person. There's another person that as a result of their fear of sin, they then go ahead and do an act of kindness. They're afraid maybe I'm not, uh, maybe I'm not doing enough. So that's a person whose primary attribute is fear of heaven and it's manifesting itself with the attribute of kindness. And then you can have someone again that uh, he's afraid that he's, his fear of heaven is driving him to seek truth. It's not that he's a, in, in essence a truth seeker, he or she. It's that he's, he's, he has a fear of heaven that says, I'm, I want to be so sure that I'm doing the right thing because I'm, of my fear of God. So I'm going to, so I want to seek truth. So it's a question of like sort of what's driving the person. And then you can have a person who just, they're, they're a truth seeker and that's what drives them. So they, they seek truth because that's what they love. They love truth. They love arriving at, 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 at truth. You can have a person that because they seek truth, they then go and do kindness because they realize that, that a person who is true and straight will be involved in acts of kindness. So that's the, then that chesed, gets mixed into the MS, into the truth. And then you have somebody who, um, he, again, he's a truth seeker, and, and, but, he's, but he has this fear of moving away from the truth, and that's sort of help, helping drive him. Again, there's like a mix of his fear of having into his truth seeking. So, so the idea is that everybody might have one of these as their primary attribute, but any of the other two, can be mixed into their actions and into their decisions. And uh, 
And we actually attribute these attributes, the Kabbalists talk about this in, in relation to God. It's actually on the, you know, the like uh, the, the, um, the spheros, the spheres, the, the different circles. You know, I'm sure you've seen a Kabbalistic image of like circle, circle, and then circles and then like that. I could have brought up an image if you don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, so among those, actually, the, I think, fourth, fifth, and sixth are these attributes, chesed, kindness, gevura, might, which we're saying is associated with, with fear of heaven, which we still have to explain why. But And, and then under that is what's called tiferes, splendor. And splendor is related to truth. That's, that's the Kabbalistic term for that. So we actually find these in the, in the spheres, which means the Kabbalists take these attributes and try to understand how God operates in the world through these same attributes. And they describe certain, again, manifestations as you can have like chesed with chesed, and you can have chesed with gevura, and you can have chesed with tiferes. So these things actually mix together also in describing some of the, again, I'm not a Kabbalist, but uh, in describing the, how, the, how, how we observe certain things in the world in the Kabbalistic outlook. But we're not doing Kabbalah right now. I'm just trying to make the point that we use the same, these same attributes are applied in Kabbalah to describe God's attributes. But these are, we're talking about the attributes of people and now specifically the forefathers. And, and each of the forefathers excelled or, or kind of centered themselves around one of these attributes. And that's not to say that they didn't have the other ones, but they kind of, each one mastered their own. And that's that Avraham mastered chesed, kindness, and then had to apply himself to then develop the other attributes of, of fear of heaven and truth as well. Yitzchak mastered fear of heaven and Yaakov, Jacob mastered MS, truth seeking. Um, and that's something that, that, you know, could be true for us as individuals, that one of those things might be what's driving us towards good. Um, you know, a person might be good because they just love doing acts of kindness. A person might be good because they, they have this fear of heaven that they walk around. I want to make sure, you know, I, I real, recognize I'm standing before God at all times. I always want to make sure I'm doing what's right. A person could be, do good because they just have such a, a drive to seek truth. I just want to do what's, what's true and what's right. And that's what drives me. And each individual can try to, you know, contemplate and, 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 and determine what it is that drives them. But we have to remember that these three attributes really should all, they're all things to work on. So even if there's one of these that's, that's driving us mostly, we want to try to develop those other ones. And that's what we see with the forefathers is they, they, uh, there's this process of development that goes on in each of their lives. So, so certainly, again, when we talk about the forefathers, they're like, you know, these were these great people that, that are somewhat beyond our comprehension, but we, we recognize that each one of them mastered one of these attributes and then had to work on the other ones. So, so Avraham, was the master of chesed, of kindness. Already before he even ever experiences a prophecy, he's already, um, you know, reaching out to people, 
he's already um, he's already trying to bring people close to God. This is this is what we talked about in the first class intuitively, even before he even before he had a a prophecy, even before God had ever spoken to him, he's already reaching out and and calling out in the name of God and inviting people to his house and and teaching people about kindness. And the idea of Abraham was that Abraham looked at the world and recognized all the good that God does for him. You know, he recognized God as creator of the world. That means that God provides everything. And therefore, if God is a master of, of chesed, of kindness, so then I want to emulate that. I want to emulate God and do the same thing. And so Abraham's means of serving God is through walking in his ways, emulating what he observes of God, which is God as the benefactor of the whole world. And Avram himself wants to be a benefactor. And when Avram invites people over, we mentioned this, this the, the Midrash, well, it's from the Talmud actually, that Avram used to invite people over. And when they would get up to thank him, he would say, no, no, don't thank me. Thank God, he's the one who really provides. So he wasn't just like trying to trick them into you know, come over and then, and then, you know, I'll get you to thank God. What he was really helping them do is, is arrive at the same place or take the same path that he took. He wanted them to, to, to thank God because by thanking God, what they're really doing is recognizing God as benefactor, just like he did. Just like Avraham recognized God is the one who provides all that we have. And therefore, I'm going to serve him by emulating him. So that's what he wanted people to do as well. So when they would come and they would benefit from Abraham's table, and he would say, don't thank me, thank God. What he was really saying is recognize where this everything comes from. And if you recognize God as the one who provides, so then naturally you're going to want to <clears throat> serve him, give back to him. And the way that you'll do that also perhaps is the same way that I do it, which is through acts of kindness, through acts of chesed. That's the way, the, the primary way in which Abraham served God. And because of that, because he was so focused on this, so to be tested, he didn't have to be tested on his kindness. That was intuitive. That was natural. He mastered that. It became a part of him. Many of the tests that Abraham experiences are to see, can he... Can he let that trait go for a bit for the purpose, you know, for the sake of, of God's word? Because if he's just doing it because it feels good for him, then, then there's something lack. That's not, he's trying to serve God. That's why he's doing it. But if he's doing it just for himself, then that's not true service of God. So when God tests him each time or many of the times, he's really testing that trait. So even when God says, lech lecha, go travel to another land, he tells him, leave your family behind, leave your aging father behind. That's not easy for Abraham. You know, even though his father had tried to turn him in, but, but you know, that's not easy for him. That's, that's going against his nature. His nature is to do kindness and to, to, to leave his father behind is very difficult. Um, we have... The, the test, Avraham is told to circumcise himself. Now, Avraham here has been promoting this one God who's a God of kindness and he loves everyone. He's a God of love and kindness. And now 
he's telling you to cut yourself, right? So that didn't go so well with Avraham's message to the world. And that was difficult for Avraham. But, and, and actually the Midrash says that God said, but you know, if I do this, people are going to be like, we don't want to have anything to do with this religion. So uh, God says, don't worry, Avram, uh, you know, you do yours and I'll do mine. But, uh, but, but that was a test for him because this went against that pure love and kindness that he was, he was promoting. Um, we also have that, which we, is what we, left, we talked about at the end last week, was the, the test of sending away Hagar and Yishmael. Hagar Yishmael is up to no good. Sarah, his wife, says, yeah. Yeah. At the time that Abraham got circumcised or circumcised himself, was, was that like a break with the culture around him then? I mean, had that never been done before? As far as I know, it had not been done before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I okay. mean, he hadn't done it yet. That's a which is a whole discussion, right? Because mm-hmm. he kind of was able to intuit God's will, but that he didn't do. So it's a whole question why he didn't do it until then. But uh, but but yeah, it, it seemed to be something you know very foreign. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then so then there was the episode with Hagar and Yishmael. So Yishmael is up to no good. Avram sang Yishmael, and and Sarah Sarai Avram's wife sends send him away, and. Uh, Avram turns to God, says, what do I do? And God says, listen to her. So but that was difficult because even though Yishmael is up to no good, he's, having a, he's being a bad influence on, on Yitzchak, on Isaac, but still, but still, Avraham wants to, to be patient with him. He wants to give him a chance. But in this case, that wasn't the right, the right decision. In this case, he had to go and he had to listen to Sarah. And that's what we mentioned at the end of last week, that Sarah kind of, was the offset was offsetting um, Avraham's kindness was that she was kind of strict and uh, and that was necessary for Avraham to have that as his counterpart to uh, to kind of keep him keep him in a straight line without being too kind because sometimes if one is too kind it can lead to in this case you know you're let, he's letting letting someone cruel stay around and be cruel to someone because of his kindness so that's that's not good. So, so Sarah was able to, to, to redirect him, but that was a test for Avraham. It's testing his kindness. And the ultimate test, of course, is the binding of Isaac. You know, again, Avraham has spent his whole life um, sending forth the message that follow me, follow my, my God. There's one God. He created everything. He's so kind. He's loving. And by the way, it was quite popular in those days to, to sacrifice your son to, uh, to an idol. They would burn their son, children. It was very common. Avram, his whole life was like, no, don't, we don't, I have a much better religion. Follow me. We don't have to, we don't do that in my religion. And then all of a sudden he's told to do something very similar. And, and it's a tremendous test for him because it goes against everything that he was, that he represented, but God said to do it. So, so. Can he, can he exercise the restraint on his kindness? Can he restrain his own kindness to do the word of God, to carry out the word of God? Because ultimately, if that's, if, if that's what God says to do, that 
is what is what is right. That is the, the way that that is serving God. So uh, so of course in the end he doesn't have to do it, but but that that's the ultimate test for him. I want to just look at some of these verses here, um, which is source one on the source sheet. And it says in chapter 22, and it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, please take your son, your only one, which we maybe will translate as your individual one, whom you love, ye, Isaac, and go away to the land of Moriah and bring him up there for a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So I just want to share something which is really tangential to, to what we're talking about. But uh, so if you look at Rashi on that verse, so it's a strange verse. God says, take your son, your only one or your individual one, whom you love, Isaac. So there's like these four steps here. You could have just said, take Isaac. So why all these steps? So Rashi says as follows, based on the Midrash, your son. So uh, he, meaning Abraham said to him, said to God, I have two sons. So God said, take your son. God, Avraham says, I have two sons because he has Yitzchak and Yishmael. So God says, you're only one, meaning you're individual one, meaning one who is individual to his mother. So Avraham said to him, this one is the only son of his mother and that one is the only son of his mother. Yishmael is the only son of Hagar and Yitzchak is the only son of Sarah. So you still, God, you still haven't told me which son I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to take. So then God said to him, the one whom you love. So he said to him, I love them both. So finally he said, Isaac. So fine. So that's, that's what Rashi says. That's this, uh, that's the, this, uh, the steps, your son, your only son. It was a conversation. God said, take your son. He's like, I have two sons. He said, your individual one. He's like, each one's an individual to his mother. He said, the one that you love. He's like, I love them both. He's like, Isaac. So, so um, Rabbi Zachariah Wallerstein, who's a rabbi in New York, he's a popular speaker. So I once heard a class from him, a rec recorded class, and he's, he's pretty funny. He was, telling, he was talking about how he had gotten into an argument with a friend about um, he had a whole story where the argument took place, like in the store while waiting online. But uh, so he was arguing with him the following. Is it, is it possible for a parent to love their children equally? Or does every parent have one child that they love more than the other? So this friend of his was making that argument that you can't possibly, you know, you can't, can't really love your children equally. You're going to love one slightly more than the other always. And Rabbi Wallerstein was saying, no, 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 it's, it's possible to love them equally. So he said that he then subsequently came across a midrash. And the midrash is in the midrash Tanhuma. That's one work of midrash, a collection of midrash. And it's very similar to this Rashi. Rashi is also calling a Midrash, but it adds one little line in. And, uh, and in the, if you, would, you would insert this, because in this version of the Midrash, it has this one extra line. So they're having this conversation, this back and forth. And God says, um, you know, take your son. I have two sons, the one that's an individual. They're each individuals to their mothers. The one whom you love, I love them both. And then in the Midrash Tanhuma, there's another line. And it says, the one that you love a lot. So the Midrash says, this is not in the verse, but it's in the Midrash. Avraham responded. He said, 
is there a limit to a person's love? Basically, that's 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 what the what it says. Is there a limit? So Abraham responds, what do you mean the one that I love a lot? I love them both a lot. There's, I love them both equally. And so finally, God says, Isaac. So, uh, so it's just a, a beautiful midrash that uh, Rabbi Wallerstein felt proved his point that, uh, that you see this midrash teaches at least that uh, you can love your children equally. There's no limit. There's no boundaries on the love that a person can have for their children. That's what Avraham said. Is there a limit to the love that I can have? I can love them equally. That's just a side point. Okay. So verse number nine. Um, and they came to the place of which God had spoken to him. And Avraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. And he bound Isaac, his son, and placed him on the altar upon the wood. So we already see actually Isaac, you know, is, is, is willing and ready to be sacrificed. He doesn't fight. He doesn't, you know, he, he was 37 at the time. He wasn't, uh, you know, it's not like he was a little kid that didn't have a choice. He was 37 years old um, and his father was 137. So, uh, so he, he was definitely the stronger one there, but yet he, he went willingly. In fact, the, the Midrash says that, that Isaac said, um, Father, you should bind me because if you don't, then I might flinch when you're trying to sacrifice me. So he was very um, um, submissive to this, which we'll have to get back to. And then verse 12 says, and he said, so, oh, so we, we zoom forward and then basically God sends an angel that says, don't do it, hold back. So, and he said, do not stretch forth your hand to the lad, nor do the slightest thing to him. For now I know that you are a God-fearing man, and you do not withhold your son, your only one, from me. So there we have a key line, Atayadati. Now I know, Elohim Atta, that you are a God-fearing man. That here Avraham shows that God-fearingness, his ability, when, when he here where he's willing to go opposite his own trait of kindness, to restrain his kindness and hold it back the kindness that has flown forth his whole life, hold it back and do this seemingly cruel act, but it's what God said to do. And that takes what the verse describes as fear of God, fear of heaven to do that, where you have to kind of look inwards and restrain and, and constrain and, and those, those attributes which flow naturally, but, but, we, but a person applies applies control over that. And that's what Avraham was able to do at this time. And this was perhaps his greatest test um, of that. But again, we have this idea that although he excels in the mida, in the attribute of chesed, of kindness, but now he is, therefore, because of that, that's why he is tasked, really, he's tested on that trade itself. Do you, you know, is this something that just is purely all that, all that motivates you, or is it possible for you to, to rein that in and restrain it when necessary, like when God says to? So, so here Abraham shows that, shows that restraint, which is, which is important. Chesed running wild, kindness running wild, like we said, can lead to take a person to, to the wrong place. You can have someone who's so kind he gives away all his possessions to tzedakah, to charity. It sounds very nice, but, uh, but then, first of all, that person is hurting himself or herself. That person 
now becomes someone who needs tzedakah from others if they've given everything away. It can hurt their family members if they give every right. So, so it, it seems like he's being so kind, he's giving everything away, but it's really not so kind. A person can, like we said, be kind to someone who's cruel. Is that kind? If you're kind to someone who's cruel and you are allowing that person to continue to be cruel as a, as a result of that kindness, then that's not really kindness. That is misplaced kindness. So, so even, you know, it's a wonderful attribute to be so giving and always want to be giving. But if a person can't restrain it when necessary, then, then it's misplaced. And that's where we always need that counterbalance of uh, here, we're going to call it yirashamayim. We're going to call it fear of heaven or, or givura, strength, restraint, the ability to hold back when, uh, when necessary. Okay, so that's, um, that's Avraham. What about Yitzchak? What about Isaac? So Isaac is very interesting because while the Torah spends a lot of time talking about Avraham, we have all of Parsha Selech Lecha, Vayera, part of Chaye Sara, so like two and a half Parshas, and a lot of time talking about Jacob, Yaakov. We have part of Toldos, Vayetze, Vayishlach, part of Vayeshev, like three and a half Parshas. Yitzchak gets basically one Parsha, Toldos. And even in that Parsha, there's very little that, that happens to Yitzchak. We just know very little about Yitzchak's life. And to the extent that we can call him kind of that, like uh, the hidden one, we don't really know so much about Yitzchak. How, how can we, dis- you know, we can look at Avram's life and realize who he was, what he represented. We could look at Yaakov's life and determine, you know, discern what he represented. It's hard to figure out what Yitzchak represents. Let's take a look at what we know about Yitzchak. So we know that. His father almost sacrificed him and that he went willingly. So that's, you know, that's a big deal. And that's points for Yitzchak for, for being ready and willing to even give, it, give up his own life for the sake of God. That's one thing. Let's see what else we know. So if we look at source two, we have a series of verses here. There's really one episode that occurs before this, which is where Yitzchak prays for children. And is answered. He has two children, Yaakov and Esav. Um, but now we pick up chapter 26 and we have a series of, of verses. So let's read through these and try to figure out who this guy is. So it says in 20, chapter 26, verse 1 And there was a famine in the land, aside from the first famine that had been in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Plishtim of the Philistines, to Gerar. And the Lord appeared to him and he said, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land that I will tell you. So God says, don't go to Egypt. Rashi comments, do not go down to Egypt. Why did he think he might go down to Egypt? Why would Yitzchak have gone down to Egypt when there was a famine? So Rashi says, for he had in mind to go down to Egypt as his father had gone down in the days of the famine. His father went to Egypt when there was a famine. So that's why Yitzchak might have done the same. But, uh, but God says, don't. So God had to specifically tell him, don't go to Egypt. I know what you're thinking. You're going to do what your father did, but, uh, but don't. In fact, it's interesting that if you look in verse one, it says there was a famine in the land 
aside from the first famine that had been in the days of Avraham. So Ramban, in his commentary, writes that it's the implication here is that this was like the first famine since then. Avraham had gone, had when he first arrived in Canaan, there was a famine. He went down to Egypt. This is the first famine since then. It's uh I don't know, 70 years later or, or more, more than that, actually. It's probably, I don't know exactly, maybe like a hundred years later. Um, and uh, but so so it's the first famine since then. People remembered that famine, the famine from the days of Avraham. They remember that Avraham went down to Egypt. Yitzhak knew that. God says, Yitzhak, don't, don't do as your father did. Don't go down to Egypt. Okay, um, we skip to what says verse six here. So Isaac and Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the man of the place asked about his wife and he said, she is my sister because he was afraid to say she is my wife because he said, lest the man of the place kill me because of Rebecca, of Rivka, for she is of comely appearance. So, uh, so this sounds familiar because this is what Avraham did twice. Avraham did it when he went to Egypt. Avraham actually did it with Avimelech, king of Gerar also. And apparently Avraham would do it actually, the verse says, wherever he would go. He would say that Sarah was his sister. That way they wouldn't kill him. And, uh, and so Yitzchak does that as well. Fine, there's a little story that happens with that, but I left that out. We go now to verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land. He found in that year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. So he planted and he did very well. Um, and, the man in that, and the man became great. I mean, Isaac became great in wealth. He grew constantly greater until he had grown very great. And he had possessions of sheep and possessions of cattle and much production, and the Philistines envied him. And Abimelech said to Isaac, so the king of, the, of, the, of Gerar of the Philistines says, go away from us, for you have become much stronger than we. So he gets sent away. You're, you're doing too well here. We don't want you here. Go away. And Isaac went away from there, and he encamped in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. So he goes away. And what happens? Verse 18, I underlined it. And Isaac again dug the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of his father, Abraham. And the Philistines had stopped them up after Abraham's death. So he redigs the wells that his father dug. And he gave them names like the names that his father had given them. And then he gives the names to the wells. I don't know why they have to name the wells, but they did. It's like street signs, I guess. You name the wells. And he named the wells the same names that his father had named the wells. He redug the same wells, and then he named them the same names. Okay. Um, fine. So maybe let's pause there for a second. So, so what we know about Yitzchak so far, what we know is that he was willing to give up his life to be sacrificed. We also see what I'm trying to bring out with these verses is a bit of a pattern, which is that he tries to model his behavior after his father. So there's a famine. Is when there was a famine, his father went down to Egypt. So he's packing up his bags to go to Egypt until God says, no, 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 no. I know what you're thinking. You want to go to Egypt? Don't go to Egypt. You're different. Rashi, the Midrash says he was different because he was almost brought as a sacrifice, which made him holy. He couldn't leave Israel. Whatever the reason is, God says, you're different. You can't leave Egypt. But he's ready to run and do exactly what his father did. He travels to Gerar. He says, you know, he calls his wife his sister, just like his father did. He, he ends up uh, in this place where he, where he needs to dig wells. 
he digs the wells that his father dug, and then he names them the same names that his father named them. So what is, what is the significance of this? Why is he so insistent in following in his father's ways? What is um, motivating him in this regard? So I want to jump ahead on the sources. We'll come back hopefully, but uh, I want to jump ahead. Well, actually, if we look at verse at, at source four, there's one more example of this where he is copying his father, um, where when he has, it says that this is when his sons are born. So it says first, um, first Yaakov came out, sorry, first, uh, First, Asav came out, and then afterwards, his brother emerged, and his hand was grasping Asav's heel, and he named him Jacob, Yaakov. Fine. Now, Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. So that's what it says. How old was Isaac when his sons were born? He was 60 years old. Rashi comments, 10 years since he had married her until she became 13 years old and able to conceive. So in those days, she was able to conceive at 13 already. And uh, so according to the Midrash, she was only three years old when they married, but he waited till she could conceive till 13. And then they tried to have children. And the following 10 years, he looked forward and waited for her, meaning he hoped for children for the next 10 years, as his father had done for Sarah. And then after that, she didn't conceive and he prayed. But the point was that Sarah also waited 10 years. Avram and Sarah tried to have children for 10 years. After that, they said, okay, we'll make alternate plans. And Avraham marries Hagar. So Yitzchak was considering the same type of course again. He waited 10 years, but he did not have the option of marrying a maidservant again, because he was like a, a sacrifice. He was especially holy. He didn't have that option, but he prayed. But again, we see he's waiting the same 10 years that his father waited. And Rashi makes sure to point that out, as his father had done for Sarah. So again, we have Yitzhak modeling his, his behavior, his choices after the acts of his father. So what's very fascinating is that, like I said, we don't really know so much about what is motivating Yitzhak's behavior. What is his attribute? What drives him? But we find out a little bit actually from his son, Yaakov, his son Jacob. When, when Yaakov is later visiting with his uncle Lavan, and they get into a big argument, and, uh, and basically Yaakov is telling Lavan, like, what on earth, you know, how could you do all, this to, all these things to me? And he's very upset. So one of the things that he says, and this is in source number five, in chapter 31, verse 42, he says, had not the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac been for me, you would now have sent me away empty-handed. Basically, Jacob says, if not for God, if not for God's help, I would be in total trouble, Avang, you're a crook, etc. But he refers to God as Pachad Yitzchak, the fear of Isaac. And that teaches us the relationship that his, that his father Isaac had with God. How did Isaac relate to God? He related to him with Pachad with fear. That's that attribute that we mentioned earlier, fear of heaven, fear of God. That's what motivated his choices primarily in life. And therefore, 
we can understand a little bit of why he chooses to do what his father did. This is very interesting. Rav Dessler explains, Rav Eliyahu Dessler, that, that a person whose prime attribute is fear of heaven is, as we said, focused somewhat on themselves. They're focused inwards. Um, so, but they, because, though there's a couple of things. First of all, a person who has fear of heaven, they're always in awe of heaven. They're always recognizing God, God is there. They nullify themselves before heaven. So that's, first of all, what gives Yitzhak the ability, the strength to be ready to, to sacrifice himself, to, to walk willingly to that altar and say, bind me. Because he lives with fear of heaven. He lives with that, that awe and that sense of, of God at all times. But also, more than that, the, a person who is, again, focused on this, this is their driving force. So, so they're constantly examining their choices. They're constantly considering, am I doing God's will? And how do I know if I'm doing God's will? And I, it, you know, it's, it could almost be obsessive, but it's, it's that if a person has that constant fear of heaven before them, so they're constantly wondering, thinking, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I fulfilling God's will? And what can result actually is, is as a result of this is a person could actually do less because of that. That can minimize the extent of a person's, the, 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 the a person's production, a person's actions, it holds them back at times because I don't. I, am I going to do it right? Am I going to do it the way that 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 God wills? And that can hold a person back. And maybe that's why we don't find that Yitzchak was as active. We just don't have so much about his life. But but also, um, especially things that are in the public eye, that. Uh, that a person doesn't want to do the wrong thing and make a mistake before God. Um, or they are concerned, you know, maybe I'll do it slightly wrong. It, again, there's, there's, with such a focus, there's a drive for perfection because there's that constant fear of having, awe of having, I'm standing before God. Everything kind of has to be perfect when you have that, uh, that outlook. And and again, there's definitely a, a place for this, and it's very important to have it. Um, but it has to be it has to be balanced. I'm not saying it wasn't for Yitzhak, but but it was something that he was developing, and 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 it's something that he's gonna he's passing on. This is his contribution, sort of, to to his to the lineage of the forefathers. Um, so so that's perhaps why. In Yitzchak's decisions, his life decisions, each time he's faced with a decision, he's, he, how does he decide what to do? I don't know what to do. I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. What does God want from me? I'm going to do what my father did. That's his, that's his, his answer in these, in these situations. Um, and uh, at least with regards to, to the worldly matters, to worldly matters, digging wells, what to call them, um, you know, where to travel, what to, how, how to respond to a given situation, how to respond to a famine, when to pray for kids, you know, all these things. He's, he's, what is driving him? His fear of heaven, 
how does that how does that manifest itself? He has to he has to decide what to do. How do I know what to do? So he he, he chooses based on what did his father do? What did my father do? That's that's what he looks to. What's interesting though is that there were certain things that his father did that he didn't really do. So so one of those examples is that he did not publicize the existence of God in the same way that Avraham did. So if you look actually at number three here, going back to source three, so it says, so I basically collected a bunch of verses where it says that Avraham built an altar and called out in the name of God. He sort of set up his tent and, and started to teaching and, and, uh, and popularizing the monotheism and God's kindness. So, so in 12.5, it mentions souls that are attracting in Haran. So he was this great outreach work leader, leader who, who attracted all these, all these followers. And then in 12.8, there he, he goes to, to Bethel and he builds an altar and he calls out in the name of God. And then in 13, 3 and 4, he went again back to that same place. And again, he calls out in the name of God. Um, Again, he builds an altar in, in, in another place in Mamre. And then finally in 23, 30, 21, 33, again, he, he, he plants there, he plants a tree or he builds an inn. There's different ways to understand it. And he calls out the name of God. So, so over and over again, Avraham is setting up his, his tent and, and, and calling out in the name of God, which means he's publicizing and attracting followers to his, his way of life. But we don't find that Yitzchak really does this until we do. But for the first many you know, episodes of, of Yitzhak's life, what we, what we know, we don't see that he's doing this. So if, if you go back again to, number, to, to source number two, we were in the middle of reading through all these verses here. Um, but maybe we'll pick up um, from verse 22 there. So we're in source two, verse 22. So after Yitzchak digs, digs all these wells, and then he's fighting over the wells with the, 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 the pushed in, they're coming, they're, they're saying, oh, you know, they, these are our wells. So he moves on. He doesn't fight them. He moves on. And, uh, but then finally in verse 22, it says, and he moved away from there and he dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. Finally, they, they leave him alone. So he named it Rehovot. And he said, for now, the Lord has made room for us and we will be fruitful in the land. God has kind of given us some, we now have some space. They're not quarreling with us. So he's happy about that. And then it says he went up from there to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him on that night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and I will bless you and multiply you, your seed for the sake of Abraham, my servant. So God says, fear not. Very interesting, right? So he was afraid. We know that he, that was something that Yitzchak lived with, fear. Fear of God, fear that he was, was he doing the right thing? God says, fear not. So then, verse 25, all of a sudden, and he built an altar there and he called in the name of the Lord. All of a sudden, now he's taking on the attribute of his father, the, he's, this that he had not been involved in. He had not been involved in reaching out to people and attracting them to, to, to this way of life. And now, all of a sudden, things kind of opened up for him and he saw blessing and he saw things are good. And God says, don't worry, don't be, don't, don't fear. And now he's ready to call out in the name of God. So, 
So, but again, this, that which he was not following in his father's footsteps in this regard was also motivated by that same attribute of his fear of God. He was, he didn't consider himself worthy enough. He didn't think I could do it. He was, uh, he had, he had, he had experienced many difficulties. Perhaps he thought I'm not worthy, not deserving. And, and I'm not that guy, you know, but God says finally to him. And it's when he sees a little bit of blessing, he sees things coming together. God says, fear not, don't be afraid. Um, and, and finally he responds by, uh, by now following his, in, in his father's ways of calling out, to, calling out to people about God and teaching them. He finally feels, feels worthy to do that. So, uh, so this is, um, this is, this is, you know, this is Yitzchak. This is Isaac. Isaac is the one he's very restrained. He's restrained. He's not running all over and doing great things. He, he lives, and that's the connection between Gevura and fear of God. Gevura means strength, but it really it means it, it's associated with restraint, the ability to hold back. You know, the famous Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, in Ethics of the Fathers, Ezehu Gibor, who is strong, one who conquers their Yetzir Hara, one who can conquer their inclination. So it's the ability to restrain oneself that's true strength, true might, true might. So givura, which means might, is the ability to restrain oneself. And this is Yitzchak's attribute. This is what he excels in. He excels in restraint, in, in kind of holding back from running all over and doing all these great things. Um, and again, it, he has to, he needs to bring out the chesed for Avraham excelled in chesed, in kindness, and he was tested to see if he can also exercise restraint. Yitzchak excels in restraining himself. He walks everywhere with fear of heaven. He's always considering, should I act, should I not? And it's such an important attribute because we, we tend to do things impulsively and not necessarily think so much about it. And, but we really need that balance. We need that balance of, of to be able to have the restraint to hold back when, when it's necessary to hold back. And that is really Yitzchak's, uh, what he passes on to us is that, is that attribute that he excelled in. And it's, it comes from this mix of, of fear of heaven, the ability to restrain himself, and therefore, he holds back somewhat throughout his life. He holds back in publicizing God's, uh, God's name, even, until finally God says, no, no, don't fear. You should, you should, you should be doing that. You should get out there and, uh, and, and publicize in the same way that, uh, that your father did. Now, there might be another reason why, why we don't see that Yitzchak was... Uh, was maybe doing this, or maybe he wasn't as popular, which is simply because his message is, is a harder, harder message to, to receive. You know, Abraham excels in kindness, chesed. So that's, we all can understand that. We all can relate to that. You know, it's, it's, it's more intuitive. It's, and it's, it's more natural for a person to want to appreciate, you know, what chesed is. And also, by the way, when a person does an act of kindness, they gain as much as they, they give. So it feels good. We, we, we in, as individuals, gain a lot from doing acts of kindness. So, so Avraham's message was kind of easy to, to hear. 
even Yaakov, who again, we have to develop his story still, but Yaakov, whose attribute is truth, also truth seeking, you know, maybe we don't, people don't relate to it as much as kindness, but people relate to that easily. And Yaakov, therefore, is more easily develops a following and, and a nation comes forth from Yaakov. Yitzhak's message is, is what he represents isn't so easy to follow. Restraint, self-sacrifice, you know, uh, uh, a, a willingness to just hold back, to not be this, this, this big star and not to, uh, and to, to, to kind of nullify himself before God, his willingness to sacrifice himself. It's, it's hard. It's, it's not the most attractive uh, trait that people are going to be running to, to, to grab onto. But like I'm saying, it's still extremely important. And, uh, and, and it's part of what makes up a, a, a like these three attributes all together combine for to help a person towards perfection. It's the ability to do acts of kindness, to restrain ourselves, to self-sacrifice when necessary. Um, and of course, to do that all while seeking truth and doing it in a true way. So that is Yitzchak. Um, oh, I didn't realize I like this. One more point. We mentioned last week that uh, Sarah balanced out, and I mentioned it tonight also, Sarah kind of balanced out um, Avraham, right? Avraham excelled in acts of kindness. Sarah was a little bit stricter, a little bit more to the point. You gotta do what you gotta do, even when it might hurt someone. And that's why she's ready to send Yishmael away when it's, when it's necessary. So Yitzchak, who excels in, in restraint, needs someone to balance him out, someone who is involved in kindness. And that is his wife, Rivka, Rebecca. That's why when uh, we, see, we see that she excels in that. When, 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 uh, when Abraham sends his, his slave, Eliezer, to go find a wife for his son, Yitzchak. So if you look, um, source six. So Eliezer says, and it will be that the maiden to whom I will say, lower your pitcher and I will drink, and she will say, drink, and I will also water your camels. Her have you designated for your servant, for Isaac, and through her may I know that you have performed loving kindness with my master. So what is he looking for? He's looking for someone who does acts of kindness. I'm going to ask her for, for water. She's going to give not only me water, but my camels also. And what happens? So 15, it says, now he had not yet finished speaking. And behold, Rebecca came out. 17, and the servant ran toward her. And he said, please let me sip a little water from your pitcher. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she hastened and lowered her pitcher to her hand. And she gave him to drink. And she finished giving him to drink. And she said, I will also draw for your camels until they have finished drinking. And she hastened and she emptied her pitcher into the trough. And she ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. Now, does this sound a little bit familiar? Because you may remember when we read about the angels coming to visit Avraham, Avraham is hastening here and hastening there, and he ran to get them this, and he ran to get them this. Avraham excels in kindness, and he doesn't just do kindness, he runs to do kindness. Well, Rivka is the same way. Clearly, she's not just doing kindness, she's running. She is, she's, she's doing kindness with alacrity. This is something that she excels in. So it's very fitting that she is the, the counterpart, the partner for, for Yitzchak, who maybe is more focused inwards. He's more focused on his fear of heaven. He's more focused on 
um, checking his own his 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 deeds and his behavior and doesn't want to you know fall out of line by accident. He's less focused on looking outwards in what in, in, in what kinds of acts of kindness he could do. But he has that life partner, Rivka, to help balance him out. Okay, eventually we will talk about Yaakov. I don't think it's going to be next week. I think we'll do some something else next week, more of Rivka and Yitzchak, but uh, we'll see as we go. All right.